Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel by John chapter 10. I just want to, on our way to Revelation, I want to show you what we're looking at in Revelation. Um, Remind all of our hearts what it is that happens when we listen to the Word of God. John chapter 10 and verse 27. As you're turning there and getting to Christ's amazing words that we all know so well, have you ever thought about the fog we all live in? When I left early this morning, and I, I left really extra early this morning because I had so much to do, and uh, it was fog, you know, out in the vineyards and then coming along. It was, just, it was just absolutely beautiful. Of course, one thing I forgot to do is bring a key to the church, and so I sat from 6 o'clock till the first person showed up at 7 and let me in. Uh, but, uh, you know, our plans and the Lord's always uh, are different sometimes. But... Uh, Have you ever thought how we live in a spiritual fog that's all around us? I mean, if you just cruise the television, Christian television, I mean, it's Christian television. There's one billion-dollar Christian network that, that pumps out Bible teaching 24 hours a day. It's fog. It's confusing. In fact, tonight, specifically, we're going to talk about that and look at what the Bible says about that. But there are people on there that say, the Lord told me this. And I go, where? How do I know he told you that? Because the Bible says that anybody that speaks on behalf of God is supposed to line up with what God has already said. That none of his speakers that represent him, will ever say something from him that differs from what he's already said. Yet, I bet two-thirds or more of all that you hear on popular telegenic Bible teaching television can't be substantiated from the Bible. Now, look at John 10, 27, because I want you to see how important this is. Because much of the fog and confusion that surrounds so many sincere believers every day can be cleared up just by a simple believing what Jesus says. Now, notice what he said in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then Jesus said something fascinating. Look at verse 30. This is one you ought to have circled because this is critical for all the cults and for some of the most dominant false religions of our world. They don't believe, any of them, this verse. I and my Father are one. Now, if you ever wonder what Jesus said, if you're not sure if he said something significant, look at the very next verse. I love watching the scriptures. Uh, The people that actually were there when Jesus talked, whenever he says something significant, they get so mad. I mean, they picked up stones. They're ready to stone him. Why? They heard what he said. He claimed equality and oneness with God. Wow. One of the truths we can never hear often enough is that we each possess God's word today. We actually have God's actual voice recorded, his actual words written down. We can, as it were, at any time, look back at verse 27, hear his voice, know him, and follow him anytime we want to. Now, from time to time, I 
I have to go and speak and travel in places where they actually, believe it or not, have no Wi-Fi, internet, or even cell phone coverage. And when I'm in those places, I usually know I'm headed there, um, I retain on my phone messages that I've gotten that I usually just dutifully erase from my wonderful wife and from my children because when I'm far away, sometimes when you can't call them or talk to them or communicate with them, you like to just, what, hear their voice. And so I'll actually play those. In fact, when my daughters leave for Honduras and I'm going to be out of touch with them, I still have on my phone, they said, see you in three months, Dad. And, you know, it's just kind of precious to hear their voice. Did you know in a far surpassing, incredibly more magnificent way, at any moment that we open our heart to the Word of God, verse 27, as Christ's sheep, I can hear his voice, I can experientially know him, and I can follow him. Do you understand? That is a treasure. Jesus told us his voice is the key to everything that matters eternally. And he says that each of us should respond to his voice. So what that means is, and, and just as you're starting to turn, let's go to Revelation 4, because I, I want to, uh, I've been praying a lot about this, because, you know, this is one of those messages that usually, if you talk long enough and teach the Bible long enough, you can offend people here and there along the way. This is one of those messages that, that has a great uh, potential of bothering a lot of people, because most people love to hear the Word of God. Most people get uncomfortable when it's applied to something close to home. So how should the description of Revelation 4 and 5, and turn there with me, how should that impact each of our lives today? And so what we're going to do, Lord willing, this Sunday and next Sunday, I'm going to give you four very clear, illustrated examples of how to apply Revelation 4 and 5 to your life today and to the fog that surrounds all of us theologically because of everything that's going on in our world. And what I'm telling you is a literal, trustworthy record of God's voice has been given to us. And if you read Revelation 4 and 5, here, here's something to, to ponder with me. How should what we hear God say impact us from Revelation 4 and 5? Now, we have spent literally, this is the 19th message, which means we've been in here for months and months and months. And it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and we're talking about heaven and the throne and all of that. But how on earth should that scene in heaven impact us? Well, let me apply that message two ways this week, two ways next week. Specifically this. There are four ways that are critical to making it through the maze of life safely to our Father's home without confusion, that are four truths that are foundational. In fact, I, I call them four foundational truths to guide us through life. So for the rest of our lives, as long as the Lord allows us to live, remember the, the environment we're going to live in. Satan is the one who wants to distort and twist and rob us of the truth of God. He started back in the Garden of Eden. He started telling Eve that God didn't quite have it right. He was close, but he wasn't straight on. And, and God didn't really mean to tell you you couldn't eat of that tree. And, and if you did eat of that tree, you're going to become like God, and you're going to know some stuff, and you're not going to die. Everyone was a lie. Those original Garden of Eden lies are now 
pervasive through our world. All of the world's religions, other than the true revelation of God, all of them have forms of Satan's original lies to Eve. And what's amazing is Satan knows we have already embraced the truth, we who are born again. So what does he do with us? He makes us think that there are other sources of divine revelation of truth. There are other sources. This is a good one, and this is a great one, and God has spoken, but there's other things too. And I would believe that most of us in this room, in one way or another, have been touched by those other sources. And what we've done is we just think, oh, it's harmless. Oh, it's all right. It's, I remember when I started pastoring many years ago in Rhode Island, historic, almost 200-year-old church. I walked in, the, the pulpit committee invited me to see the church, and I walked in, and it was a beautiful, one of those beautiful buildings you want to take a picture of with, with you know, the leaves all changed in color around it. And all of a sudden, I walked into the worship center, and I went, ah. and right there, right behind the pulpit to the ceiling, was this massive, very expensive, bought by, I think, the Dow or DuPont company, E.I. DuPont Dumur's family donated money to the church. This gargantuan, looked like it belonged in Rome, you know, one of those giant Da Vinci-esque pictures of Christ. And you know what the person taking me on the tour said? Did you know that the people love to come in? And they love to just have the organ playing, and they get down on their knees, and they look at that picture... And it helps them feel Christ is closer to them. I thought, wow. The God who said, don't make any representation of me. Don't have any. That's why the, the tabernacle and temple were devoid of any representations of God. And yet, over the centuries, the church has more and more allowed in unbiblical representations of Christ. Okay, here's number one. Let me show you what I mean. I told you everyone was going to get bothered sooner or later. Okay, God's voice from heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 describes the real heaven. Let's just talk specifics this morning. There is only one real heaven. There is only one heaven that is the heaven of God that he designed and that, that he has prepared and that he is taking us to where he dwells and where he's coming from to get us to bring us to be with him. And that's described in Revelation 4 and 5. What it looks like, what it is like. Now listen, no other of the accounts that you read or hear about heaven other than the truths of God's word are accurate, nor are they inspired. Believe it or not, there are people in churches using books about people's out-of-body experiences to teach doctrine. You go, oh, that's terrible. Really? It's across the board commonplace in America. The, it's almost like this isn't enough. And this is so hard to understand. Let's spice it up a little bit. Let's get it more easy to understand or more acceptable to the whoever. So number one, heaven. Number two, God's voice from heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 declares that, that there's an eternal heaven and eternal hell. There are only two destinations. One is an eternal place God calls heaven filled with what his presence produces, which is joy and peace and bliss. And as Psalm 1611 says, when you're at God's right hand, there are endless pleasures that never grow old or diminish or wear out. 
endless pleasures when you're under his authority. That's what the right hand means. Under his absolute control, endless pleasures. And you say, where is that Revelation 4 and 5? It's the crowd of redeemed saying, Lord, we're so thankful that you, we're not worthy that you saved us. From what? From the other destination. The other destination is a place of conscious endless torments called hell. And you are going to one or the other. And God clearly revealed that. God says, he that has a son has life. He that doesn't have the son does not have life. There's only two types of people alive today on the planet. Those that have the son and those that don't. There aren't in between, middle, five groups. You know, some are going to go to a halfway house. Some are going to get there and figure out they were wrong and change their mind. No. God says there's two destinations, there's two types of people, and there's only two paths we follow in life. And whatever path we're on at the end of our life is where our destination is going to be. And that's what the Lord says. And by the way, people don't like that, so they invent other things. God's voice from heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 demands one way of salvation. There's only one way to heaven. It's through having imputed to us by faith alone the redemptive, blood-soaked, substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That is what's described in the Word of God. That's why it says, receive the engrafted Word which is able to save your soul. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Right? You understand... The only way that we can be Christ's sheep is to hear his voice. And his voice is only to be heard through his word. That's what he said. He says, you must believe the word. Do you remember when uh, Jesus is explaining about the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man was in the, the waiting room for hell, which is called Hades or the grave. It's a place of torment. It's not yet eternal. He wasn't yet before the judgment, uh, great white throne. He was just waiting, but it's awful. And do you remember he says, hey, I don't want my family to come here. Let, let, send somebody back. You know, let them go in glowing clothes and tell them, don't go where the rich man went. Listen and go to heaven. And what was the answer he got? Let him listen to the word of God. See, that's the means that God uses for the salvation of the soul. Wow. That's what God's word describes. Finally, and by the way, we're going to do three and four next week, Lord willing, because there's not enough time. But God's voice from heaven, fourthly, destroys self-sufficiency. The only true salvation is the one that saves us out of our hopelessness and helpless lostness. It's not like all of us have this little spark of divinity within. That's what liberalism taught. Liberalism taught that, that everybody has this little glow of God. And if you can just clear away the mess and, and almost like a campfire, you know, blow and fan it and pile stuff around it, it'll spark to life. No. We were born absolutely hopelessly blind in the dark, dead, and utterly incapable of pleasing or seeking after God. Luke 1. We're all blind, sitting at the edge of destruction, headed right into the pit and don't even know it. That's why Jesus came as the sunrise to bring light. Well, that makes us bondservants of God when we come to him and realize our lostness and hopelessness and helplessness and submit to him. His salvation brings us into complete submission. That's why everybody in heaven is called a bond servant of God. Nobody can get to heaven that's not a bond servant of God. You look at Revelation 22, the only people in heaven are his bond servants. Everybody else is in the place of destruction. That's why 
this fast-growing world religion is so dangerous. Islam means submission. And it's not submission to the infinite, eternal creator God who has revealed himself in human form as God the Son, Jesus Christ. It is the submission to God the Father, to God the Son, and to God the Spirit, who is the eternal embodiment of the Almighty God, who is manifested for us as Jesus Christ the Lord. Wow. Well, Revelation 5, verses 11 through 14 it's where we got into this. And where we got into this is where it says in Revelation 5, those last four verses, that all who are in heaven are declaring these truths. So this morning, real quickly, let me take you through the first two applications of this truth of what Revelation 4 and 5 means to us. Number one, Revelation 4 and 5 is a guided tour of heaven, guided by God himself. How did we get it? Turn back in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Look at the opening words that we covered about a year or year and a half ago. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the whole purpose of this book is to reveal Jesus Christ. Apocalypsis means to unveil. It's almost like having some sculpture here with a, with a big sheet over it and to have the sheet pulled away and all of a sudden finally you can see it. That's what this book does to Jesus Christ. It is the true representation of what the infinite, eternal God the Son looks like, operates like, what he's going to do in the future, what he has done in the past. This is what this book is about. It's the premier Christology of the Bible. If you understand Revelation, it is the most powerful unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's why it's the only book that promises a blessing to read and hear it. The more you read and hear it, the more you understand Jesus Christ. But look what it says. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show us. We're his servants. Remember these bond slaves, the ones who were born again. The things which must shortly take place. There are things God wanted us to know about. One of those things that must shortly take place is heaven, where we're headed which gives you a whole new orientation for life. It gives you a whole new reason to go on. You know, life is hard. I mean, maybe it's not hard when you're five or six and aren't aware of anything, or 10 or 12 when you're just able to do anything you want to do, or, you know, teenager in college age, but boy, it gets harder and harder and harder. Life is hard. That's why he said, I want to show you where you're headed so that, so that you have something that is an anchor for your soul. Well, one of those things that God wants to show us is that the revelation of the future is a gift from God. Only God knows the future. Isaiah says that clearly about 10 times. The signature of God, the fingerprint of God is, God is the only one that knows the future. Only God can, can state in clarity future events. That's his, his imprimatur of being God. So God reveals to us the future, and he's the only one that can show us the future. And, and it came as a revelation from him in this book. So every word we have in these two chapters, Revelation 4 and 5, plus all the rest of the Bible, are the actual words from God, and that needs to settle in as we ponder this first truth. And this is where it gets a little uncomfortable. I'll repeat it. God's voice from heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 describes the real heaven. There's only one real heaven, and it's described in the Bible. And, and none of the other accounts that we could ever read from anybody else or hear someone relate to us from their experience other than the true word of God. None of them are accurate or inspired. 
And if they're not accurate, why are we reading them? And if they're not inspired, why would we pass them on? And yet, it's happening. So basically, the point is this. Beware of any time heaven is described differently than how God described it. Do you want to hear heaven described differently? Turn on Christian television. Listen for a half hour. You'll hear heaven described differently than God does. Who told them that? Where did they get that? Why are they teaching it like it's true? See, that's, that's the question of our age we're in. It's almost like believers have lost their mooring. The anchor to the Bible has been severed, and the devil has done an effective job of that. You know, people don't carry their Bibles anymore to church. People don't read their Bibles like they used to. People don't know the Bible like they used to. It used to be known by the unbelievers. You read English literature from the, the, the great British Empire encircled the world. Unsaved people knew the Bible in and out. Today in our generation, saved people don't. And we've lost the anchor. And so basically, anything anybody says or writes in a book or gives this emotional testimony about or relates to us that they're sure that the Lord told them this, people just go, oh, yes. Oh, wow. You know, and, and everybody can just follow whoever they want, and there's no... In fact, there was a movement 10 years ago. It was called the Emergent Church. And what it was is, it was a, a movement that at its core was against the propositional proclamation in an authoritative way of the Bible. And what they said is, nobody should be higher off the ground than anybody else, and no one person should stand and talk with other people listening, because that sets the tone of authoritarianism. You know what? It's not whether a person's up off the floor or the only one talking. It's what they're talking about. See, is there propositional truth that is absolute, that has been revealed by God? And if so, we should obey it, especially if it's been engrafted into our hearts. So what I did is I went this week to the world's largest bookstore, and I went up and down the cyber aisles, and I, I copied out for you the top 10 books being sold by the millions, many of them to Christians, about heaven. And I, I only got the ones that were eyewitness accounts, okay? Here's the top 10 and when they were published and by whom. Uh, the most recent one is on May 29th of this year, To Heaven and Back, A Doctor's Extraordinary Account of Her Death, Heaven, Angels, and Life Again, A True Story by Mary C. Neal, May 29th, 2012. Did you know the Bible says that no one can go to heaven and come back that God does not allow that. Do you remember, I just told you about the rich man and Lazarus? He says, let me go. And he says, no, no, nobody can do that. Only those that are God's emissaries, messengers, those who are like the apostle Paul, whom he takes up and reveals something and they come back. And you know what the Lord said? My time of revealing new truth about heaven and doctrine and God is done. Read the last two verses of Revelation 22. You know what it says? Don't add to the revelation that I'm sending you about what's in the future and about what is revealed about God. Don't add to that or you're going to be in trouble. You know, it says in Jude verse 3, we'll see it tonight. God says it's once and for all settled. 
There's no additions to it. You know what it says in Deuteronomy 4? The same thing. Don't add or take away from the word of the Lord. Did you know God says, I, am, I have this download, and it's a unit, and I am downloading it, and when it's done, it's done, and you may not have any more people saying, God told me this, and it's authoritative for you to obey. That time has passed. And there's no way to verify what all these people are saying unless you test it against the word. And you know what? What they're saying isn't in the word. And so you know what the Bible says? They're false teachers. So I'm not sure what Mary Neal did, but I know she didn't do what she said. Number two. Now you might recognize this one. Christians by the millions are buying, sharing, promoting, studying, and can't wait this Christmas to give out the new children's version of this one. It's called Heaven is for Real. A little boy's astounding story of his trip to heaven and back, told by Todd Burpo, pastor in Nebraska, Sonia Burpo, the mother, and Colton Burpo was the four-year-old who had the experience. And of course, Lynn Vincent helped him write it. You know, it's amazing that book sold five million copies in nine months. I mean, it's, it's, a best, it's still on the New York Times bestseller list, 55 weeks. It's on there today. Number three, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, A Remarkable Account of Miracles Again, Angels and Life Beyond This World by Kevin Malarkey, which is a lot of malarkey. Number four, <laughs> uh, Flight to Heaven, A Plane Crash, A Lone Survivor, A Journey to Heaven and Back by Dale Black. We're still just in the last couple years. My Time in Heaven by Richard Sigmund. We Saw Heaven, True Stories About What Awaits Us on the Other Side by Robert Leardon. You know what? Why would anybody buy these? We have the guided tour, the authoritative tour guide written by the, the author, the designer, the only one who has the invitation so you can go there, God the Son himself, Jesus Christ. Why would we want We Saw Heaven's True Stories That Await Us? Nine Days in Heaven, The Vision of Marietta Davis by Dennis Prince. 23 minutes in hell. I mean, we don't want to just see heaven. So we've got to have an entry for 23 minutes in hell. One man's story about what he saw, heard, and felt in that place of torments. And yet Jesus specifically said, you can't come here and go back and warn people. But he did. So who do you believe? Bill Weesey or Jesus? Did you know that's right now? I'm on it. I'm not, I know that Malark, you know, I'm saying funny things, but I'm dead serious. Did you know the test today is who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the person with the most emotional or slickest or compelling story or God. See, this, the devil has detached the church from believing that the Bible is the sole source of divine revelation of truth about God and doctrines. And that was severed at the advent of televised Christianity when people like, and I hate to say, you know, may he rest in peace, Oral Roberts started telling people on television, and he would look right into the, I mean, did you ever watch him? And he'd say, Jesus told me. And then he now, how could I, sitting at home with my little black and white television set in the 60s, not believe that? He was so authoritative. But I can tell you today that God says Jesus didn't tell him. Because Jesus doesn't tell people revelation to share with the church anymore. That's what the Bible says. That's not what you'll hear them say, 
but that's what the Bible says. Uh, number nine, 90 Minutes in Heaven, A True Story of Death and Life by Don Piper. That was very popular. That was, that was very popular. I, I, churches used to do sermon series from that. Not from the Bible, from that book. And then, Matthew, tell me about having a first-hand description. Okay, point one. Only God's word can describe the true heaven. Did you, I mean, I've said it about 10 times. Only God's word can describe heaven. I can describe heaven, and it's fiction. It's, it's, you know, it's imagination. Only God can describe the true heaven. Okay? Now, you might recognize this picture. That's a beautiful picture. Beware of any time heaven is described differently than the way God described it. Only God's word can describe the true heaven. How about this book? It's a beautiful cover. It's so beautiful that five million copies were sold in nine months, many of them to Christians. I told you, it's the best-selling book for 55 weeks. In fact, this is what the online encyclopedia publications listing states. You know, every book has a little something so, you for, so that bookstores know what they're getting. This is the, the, uh, the little inscription. It says, Todd Burpo, a Christian pastor, says that during the months after the emergency surgery, Colton began describing events and people that seemed impossible for him to have seen or met. It is, by the way. Uh, that's true so far. Colton began describing uh, things like his miscarried sister, who no one had told him about. He actually saw her grown up and talked to her. Uh, his great-grandfather, who had died 30 years before Colton was born, he allegedly went and got to know him too. He claims he personally sat on Jesus' lap, angels sang to him. By the way, angels don't sing in heaven, but they did for him. Amazing. And he saw the Virgin Mary standing right next to Jesus. Just what 1.2 billion Catholics plus another billion whatever Muslims would love to hear. Because Muslims worship Mary too. And so we've got this great market of 2 plus billion people that want the Virgin Mary to have great influence on God. And Colton assures them that she does. Even though Jesus didn't call Mary his mother. He calls her woman. He didn't want people to think she had some elevated access to him. But Colton saw her there. Amazing. What should we do when we hear claims like that? Well, Paul said, and you should turn there with me. Look what it says in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. This is just one of many, and I'll show them to you. Paul says, yeah, you're going to hear all kinds of stuff. And he says there's going to be false teachers coming in. They're going to be false apostles, people that claim they have revelation, and boy, we have them. They're on television right now. And they claim they're apostles. They call themselves apostles. They claim God is telling them stuff. And he says, this is how you know whether what they're saying is true. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Now, hold on. Does Colton's story match up with God's word? The doctrines of the Bible, not very well. Once you get past the cover, which is very appealing, the contents are dangerous. Why? Because as soon as you allow Colton, four-year-old Colton, to tell you something that is impossible for humans to know, only God can reveal it, then what you said is, that there are now more than one source of divine revelation. There's Colton, who has this direct line, 
And then you have the Bible, which isn't as exciting as Colton. Or whoever the, I'm not picking on Colton. He's a cute little boy. Look on YouTube. He's still talking about it. He, you can learn more. He has videos. It, it, this Christmas, a new Bible doctrine series based on his visions is coming out. And parents and grandparents are lining up for him. Amazing. Well, here's a quick biblical analysis of the doctrines of God's word versus the doctrines Colton explained to his parents. They're now coming out in this children's version so that millions of children can be taught doctrines that aren't from God. Heaven is for real. It's a book that chronicles the supposed trip of a four-year-old during an appendectomy to heaven. He went to heaven, came back. You would think this book, something like that, couldn't even fall off the shelf, let alone have someone take it off the shelf and buy it. But five million were sold in the first nine months. Five million books in which a four-year-old describes what he saw in heaven while he visited there during his appendectomy. I mean, just, I mean, just step back and think about that. Would you think that a book uh, that someone purports that they went to heaven during their surgery, would you even spend money on that? Yes millions. Well, what does he say in the book? Here's just a few. He saw the Father. He saw God the Father. What does the Bible say? God is a spirit. God dwells in unapproachable light. No one has seen God. Colton saw the Father, and Colton says he has wings, like Gabriel's wings. Well, a little doctrine check. Does God have a body? No. God is a spirit. He's not material, but spiritual. He, and by the way, he has no wings. By the way, the Bible never says that normal angels have wings. Only seraphim and cherubim have wings. Gabriel, the one that, that Colton said he saw, was seen by Daniel twice, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, once, and Mary herself saw Gabriel once. And none of those who actually saw Gabriel, who are verified by God, saw any wings. Period. How did Colton see wings? And why would anybody believe him? when it's not attested to by God himself. He saw Jesus. Jesus has blue eyes, but he's only half as tall as Michael. He's shorter than Gabriel. Though he's really short, he's more powerful than the rest of them, and he rides a rainbow horse that only he can ride. You know, if you do a doctrinal check, we know exactly what Jesus looks like. The whole first chapter, starting in verse 9, has the most complete Word picture description. Remember, this is a gift God gave to his church so they would know Jesus Christ. Would you rather know the gift from God that he authenticates and authoritatively delivers or a four-year-old's um, impressions after surgery? And by the way, he saw the Holy Spirit too. The Holy Spirit is a blue transparent fog who floats around up there and shoots power toward the earth. By the way, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is spirit, and he's holy, and he's not fog. And by the way, what Colton does goes so much with modern Christianity. The Holy Spirit has been turned into the latest transformer toy. He can become whatever you want him to be, whatever shape you want him to be in, whatever comforts you, whatever interests you, whatever allows you to manipulate people for your own ends. Just watch Christian television, and the Spirit can do all that and a whole lot more. Amazing. And by the way, an illustrated version is on the shelves this Christmas, so you can buy one and help your children and your grandchildren get a false, unbiblical picture of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and get it so burned into their minds that when they grow up, they'll think maybe God does have a body, just like the cults, false teachers, 
and one of the most dangerous cults of all Mormonism teaches that God has a body and they are separate beings that, that Jesus is a separate God from God the Father and that in its essence is exactly what Satan wants unsaved people to embrace and Christians to become confused about. So what's amazing is in the 21st century we get our view of the Holy Spirit, God the Son and God the Father and heaven from a four-year-old whose imagination is prompted and expanded by his parents no doubt and the first point is this, God in his forever settled word says beware whenever heaven is described differently than how God described it so clearly. Test all things, hold fast to all things that are true. Real quickly, turn back to 2 Thessalonians, or I mean 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. I want to show you, Paul went to heaven. We do know Paul went. We're sure of that. God told us that Paul went to heaven. So did John and got to see it. So did Daniel. Uh, so did Ezekiel. I mean, there, there are many authenticated earth to heaven uh, descriptions, and the, all of them have the stamp of God's approval on it. But look at how Paul went in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. He said uh, in verse 2, such a one caught up to the third heaven, uh, and I know such a man. He's so overwhelmed. He talks about it in the third person. He doesn't say, I did it. Invite me on television, and, I, and let me sell nine million books about it. No, no, no. Uh, I don't know. God knows. Verse 4, how I was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Did you know Paul saw things that were so overwhelming that it made him proud? Verse 5, of such a one I will boast, yet myself I will not boast, set my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I would not be, uh, I would be a fool. I will speak the truth. In verse 7, lest I should be exalted because of all this revelation, above measure, by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. God didn't want Paul to get proud about seeing what he saw. Now, turn back to chapter 11. I want you to see verse 13 because this is something you need to consider. I'm not going to stand here and say this person is false and this person is not. I'm just going to say this. Beware of anybody who stands authoritatively declaring as if it is from the word of God and they say, God told me this. The Lord said, I know God said, da 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 da, anything that's not in the Bible. Why? Well, look at verse 13 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Such are false apostles. You know what an apostle is? An apostolos is someone that is sent. And they're sent, and, and in, in the scriptures, they're sent from God with a message from God. And he says there's going to be false people claiming that God sent them. They're deceitful workers. They transform themselves into apostles of Christ. They start saying, this is from Christ himself. Now look at verse 14. This is an important one to have circled and marked. I have it all fluorescent highlighted. And no wonder, for Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. See, Satan's primarily working right now to deceive and distract and disrupt and disorient and confuse believers and sap them of the boldness and power that comes of knowing Assuredly, thus saith the Lord, this is the absolute. So, lesson number one. 
God's voice from heaven says there's only one real heaven. God has described it, and all the other stories you read about heaven other than God's word are, are not accurate or inspired. So even if the books in a Christian bookstore don't accept it as truth, God is the sole source of truth about heaven. No person's experience, no modern so-called prophet is ever to be trusted over the Lord Almighty. And even if the book has been read by your best friend and strongly affirmed by them and they're godly and devout followers of Christ, don't accept it as truth. Say, I'm sorry. You know what? God is the only one that has revealed the truth about heaven. And I'm sorry, I don't know what your person's experience was, but I don't accept that. Because it can't be authenticated. It's not the revelation of God. And by the way, it disagrees with God's word. And if a local church in the area knows the truth and preaches the truth and is filled with godly believers, and they use one of these books about heaven in a small group study, or even worse, they use one, another one called the shack, about doctrines of God which are absolutely contrary to everything the Bible says, don't accept it as truth. God is the sole source of truth about heaven. No person's experiences or modern so-called prophets is ever to be trusted over the Lord God Almighty. Secondly, we need to hold on to a second truth before we go. There's only two destinations. One is an eternal place God calls heaven, and the other is a place of torment. Did you know that's a topic of a lot of these books? Do you know what most of these books, I'm not saying Burpo's because his dad is, is a Nazarene pastor that knows the truth. But most of these books present Satan, the angel of light, embracing people when they are in plane crashes and everything. And these are total heathen, godless, you know, deniers of Christ. But they all go to the same place. And there's this big, warm, bright figure. They think it's Jesus. And he embraces them in the light. And they hear sounds and they see colors. And it's so warm and wonderful. Now listen, beware of Satan's lies that all religious roads lead to heaven. Now the one I'm telling you about, this, this little boy book, that's the current hot seller. Do you know what the hot seller was 10 years ago? 10 years ago it was called Embraced by the Light by a Christian named Betty J. Eady. came out in October of 2002, a decade ago. And you know what Betty Eady said in this book? By the way, she spoke in churches coast to coast. And after finally a few churches checked her credentials, they found out she's not a born-again Christian. She said she was. She was a Mormon member and a false prophet that the Mormon church didn't even fully accept because she was so far into the New Age, into Hinduism. But churches, because of her story, Woven into her tail are robes, spirit guide monks, a light that warmed her soul. She met Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified, and he told her these doctrines. Number one, humans preexisted as spirits before they were born into this world. This preexistence of human spirit is central to Mormon doctrine and most false cults. And Betty Eady said, all people as spirits in the pre-mortal world took part in the creation of the earth. Really? You know what God says in Genesis 2-7? God scooped up dirt, fashioned Adam into the shape uh, of a man, and it says he breathed into him the breath of life, and it says in Genesis 2-7, Adam became a living soul. Adam didn't pre-exist. God didn't say, all right, send another one down. I've got a body ready. <laughs> you know, can you imagine this pool of souls that he's bringing down? But Jesus told Betty Edie that, 
she also learned that there are multiple gods in heaven. This denial of the Trinity is central to Mormonism as well as the rest of false religion. Betty said, my Protestant upbringing taught me that the Father and Jesus were one being. But as she toured heaven, I understood to my surprise, Jesus is separate from God. Thirdly, she was taught humans can become gods. What did Satan tell Eve? You will become like God. See, this the lie of the Garden of Eden from the devil has shown up in all myriads of new formatting of the same old lie. And she just brought it up again. She taught this in churches. And people went, wow, we can become gods? Oh, oh. I mean, wow. I mean, there's, there's a man on television from Houston that says the same thing. Don't be negative. You, you have some God inside of you. Be all you can be. No, you're desperately evil and wicked, and the human heart is desperately deceptive, and only the Spirit of God within us is good. We are not. And anything good that's accomplished is through him, not because we're little gods. God wants us to become as he is, and as he invested in his godlike qualities, no. He has put his Spirit to dwell in us, and he empowers us by his grace to accomplish. But we're not little gods. Here's another one that Jesus told her. There's a second chance at salvation after life. The New Age and most false religions all share the same form of universalism. That people get another chance. In fact, Betty said there was this whole, Betty Edie, said there was this whole group of people that were up kicking and screaming. They did not want to go to heaven. They did not want anything to do with God. And all of a sudden, Jesus went and embraced them. And he he held them close, and they warmed up, and finally some of them said, okay, I'll stay for a while. <laughs> and, and eventually, she said, he got through to all of them, and they all were saved. Never confessing they were lost sinners, never believing that he redeemed them. And finally, here's one that's everywhere. It's in all the movies. The universe, she said, I found out in heaven the universe has two eternal forces or energies. They're positive and negative. This dualism has always been a part of Gnosticism. Did you know that was the first error in the church that you can see John in 1 John writing against Gnosticism. You know what he said? He says, we have seen and handled Jesus Christ. We know he's real. The Gnostic says, no, no, no. Gnosticism is, that's, you ever heard, there's another book, The Secret, the Christian's bought. That's the essence of Gnosticism. There's this insider knowledge that only the initiated can tell you so you can know it too. This gnosis, this, this knowledge. And what the gnosis is, it's part of Hinduism and Gnosticism and most science fiction. It's the force that's neither positive nor negative. If you just focus on, on the, the good side of that force, then you can use this positive energy to be healed. Hey, there's, we're back to Christian television. Cast out the evil thoughts. Cast out the negative thoughts. Believe. You know, it's just amazing how much all of this stuff, this positive energy that heals us, we can create our own destiny. We can speak into existence. Now I'm in the word faith movement we're going to talk about tonight. You speak your destiny. Amazing. Okay. Pantheism, mysticism, syncretism, we'll talk about that later. The foundational truths to guide us through life. Today we saw the first two. The only real heaven is the one God describes. All the other descriptions are inaccurate and not inspired. And worse than that, they disagree with the inspired one. And they shouldn't be bought, handed out to 
poor, helpless children and grandchildren and burned into their minds. And secondly, there are only two destinations, and they're both permanent. One is an eternal place God calls heaven, and the other place is a conscious, endless torment called hell. And this morning, you're going to one or the other. And that's what the gospel says. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have spoken and we have a copy, an accurate, trustworthy recording of your words. And they're the greatest treasure and possession we have. Through them, we are sanctified as believers. Through them, engrafted into our souls, we are saved by hearing your word. Without them, we float around in the fog. We're confused. We're dashed about with every new doctrine that comes down the pike. And we become powerless. And we become without the joy and the assurance that your word brings. So I pray this morning for believers that we would test all things and trash all this stuff that, that Christianity is, is foisting on us that's not based on your word. And for anybody here that joined us this morning, and this just is like a tidal wave. They don't even understand half of what I said. I pray that your spirit would convict them of their helplessness, lostness, and utter need of only Jesus Christ who died in their place. I pray that we would be those who would guard the truth, know the truth, live the truth, and test all things against the truth. And we ask that in the precious name of Jesus and for his glory we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You should go.